0: All right, we're going back to Philippians chapter number two. Philippians chapter number two. Last week we stopped down around verse number 11. And tonight we'll pick up at verse number 12. We're going to try to make it through verse 18. There's one thought here that Paul was trying to get across to the church that I want to look at this evening. In Philippians chapter number 2, we'll start reading in verse number 12. And we'll see what Paul has to say here in verse number 12. He said, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. Holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. Now we'll stop there as Paul starts another thought after that. And uh, the context here, of course, we're talking about the Apostle Paul in his letter to the church at Philippi. And uh, he's calling the church to unity. And in doing so, we talked last week about the traits of Christ's life and about humbling ourselves as Christ did there on the cross. And now Paul is teaching us how to work out salvation. Now I want you to notice something important. It is important that we understand this, because this hinges upon the very doctrine that we preach in this church. You see, Paul said in verse number 12, At the bottom of the verse, he said to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So in these verses that we just read, Paul gives us six works of salvation. Now notice they are not six works for salvation. It's important we understand that. Because we know that according to the Scriptures that we cannot lose our salvation. We know that if we are saved, we are saved for eternity. We know that Paul said that we are sealed to the day of redemption. And we know that according to John 10, 28, that no man can pluck us out of the Father's hand. We can go on and on and on. So it would not make sense for Paul to tell the church to work for their salvation. But what he's teaching them is to work out their salvation. I notice what he said there. He said that wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Paul is not physically at this church. Paul is writing a letter to the church, trying to urge them to grow spiritually in the Lord as long as he's not around. While he's not around. You see, isn't it so? You find the same thing a lot of times with kids. With a younger, with a younger crowd, with the kids, you'll find that they want to act like they're, they're good, like they're doing everything they're supposed to do as long as mom and daddy's around. Mom and daddy's around, they're doing everything they're supposed to do. When mom and daddy's gone, don't oh, no, nothing get done that is supposed to get done. Everything is torn to pieces. Everything goes to pot. Nothing is done that is supposed to be done. We do the same thing with God. You see, Paul's saying this. He said, as long as I'm around, you're doing great. As long as I was around, you're doing well. I need you to grow spiritually even though I'm not there. And here's what he teaches them. He told them to work out your own salvation. So what does Paul mean when he says to work out? Not work for, but to work out. Our salvation, and this is this is important. We understand this. The the best way to explain this is to use the example of a bodybuilder. Because what a bodybuilder does is they actually take time to have regular sessions at a gym. They go to a gym and they push themselves. They lift weights. They exercise. They push their bodies to a point to where it burns the fat and it builds the muscle. Now what they are not doing is they are not creating muscle. Understand that. You cannot get no more muscle in your body than what you've already got. But you can build the muscle that is already there. You can strengthen the muscle. That is already there. That is what they are doing. Those bodybuilders are going in. They are getting rid of that which is not muscle. And they are building up that which is muscle. they are strengthening it by pushing themselves physically. The sad thing is they do this stuff on purpose. Usually when I do something like that, it's an accident. And I have to spend two days getting over it. They go in there and they do this stuff on purpose. But they do this so that they can become stronger in their purpose and in their mission. And that is the best way to explain this when Paul said to work out. When the bodybuilders go into the gym, they're not working for their muscle, they're working out their muscle. You see, they're working out, they're building up, they're strengthening what's already there. And that's what we are to do in our spiritual lives. We are to be spiritual bodybuilders. By doing regular exercises spiritually to burn off the spiritual fat that is in us. You can refer to that spiritual fat as uh, the world, the fleshly lust, the pride and selfishness, the bitterness that's in the child of God these days. All these things that are not becoming to the Lord Jesus Christ. All these things that hinder us from being stronger in our walk with God. All these things that hinder us from going further with the Lord, we are to spiritually work out. And here's the problem with America America is we have plenty of problems politically, we have plenty of problems nationally, we have, uh, we have all kinds of problems, but the biggest problem in America is a sin problem. And the reason we have a sin problem is because God's people have gotten lazy. We've gotten lazy and we're no longer working out spiritually. We've gotten lazy to where we're okay with being spiritually unhealthy. You see, how do we work out spiritually? We work out spiritually by being in the Word of God. You see, we get in the Word of God and we read. The book says to seek ye out the book of the Lord and read. And Second Timothy chapter two and verse fifteen, Paul teaches Timothy. He says to study to show thyself approved unto God. What? A workman that needeth not to be ashamed. You see, if we're going to be spiritually healthy, we must spiritually work out. We must spiritually work out. We've got to be in the Word of God reading. We've got to be in the Word of God studying. We've got to be faithful to the house of God. We've got to be faithful to tell others about the Lord Jesus Christ. We've got to be faithful at living a pure, holy, righteous, godly life. We must keep ourselves spiritually healthy. You see, I've met a lot of people, even when I was in law enforcement in Tennessee, I met a lot of people that were elderly in age, I've met a lot of men that were up in their 60s and their 70s that were still going to the gym and outworking me as a 20-something year old man. These 60, 70 year old men would go out there and they would outlift me in some of the weights. They would outrun me on some of the treadmills and they could do more push-ups and sit-ups than I could. They were physically in better shape than I could ever think about being a wife. Why? Because they've been exercising regularly for the last 50 years of their life. You see, we look back in, in history and we see these great men of God. We think about men like Billy Graham. Not so far distant in the past, but you think about all of the great things that God has used that man to do you think about all of the people that have been born again all the millions of people all across the globe not just the United States but all over the globe we find the impact of his ministry why? because he spiritually exercised for a lot of years let me tell you what happens when you go exercise you don't go into exercise one day and come out fit the same day that's my problem. You see, I want to be able. It, I want it to be just as easy for me to get rid of it as it was for me to get it. You see, it wasn't nothing for me to put it on. I enjoyed that. I'm good at that. This is an investment. I'm a businessman. I don't like losing my investment. You see, when we go in to the gym, it's going to take a long time to get healthy, and to get fit, and to get where we need to be. Why? Because it takes time to build that muscle. Sure, God can do the same thing with us that He's done with Billy Graham, with Billy Sunday, with D.L. Moody, with Charles Spurgeon, and any other of the great men of God of the past that we've known, that we've read about, that we've heard about, that preached all these great messages, and held all these great crusades, and all these great revivals. God can do the same thing with us here if we're willing to spiritually exercise and get spiritually fit so that He can use us. You see, there's some things that I cannot go do physically because I'm not fit. I could not go out there with the fire department right now and go out there on a call and put out a fire. I'm not fit. I'm not fit. I could not hold out to the physical activities that need to be done on those calls. I mean, physically right now, I could not go back and answer a call as a cop because I'm not physically fit the way that I should be. I can, There's certain actions, certain duties... I cannot do because I'm not strong enough. We think about these things spiritually. We want to see the church full. We want to see a revival. We've got revival coming up in November. We want to see God do great things. We want to see all these things happen. And we pray, God fill the pews up. God bring revival. God teach us this. God do this. God move again. But we're so spiritually unhealthy and unfit, we cannot move forward because we're not spiritually strong enough to handle what God wants to do Wants to do with us. We must exercise spiritually. That's what Paul is talking about when he tells the church to work out your own salvation. But notice verse 13, the second work that he's talking about. Again, not working for, but working out our salvation. Verse 13, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. The second work is the work of obedience. The second work of salvation is we are to work at not only being spiritually fit, but we are to work at being obedient in our walk with God. We should constantly be working at being obedient to the call, the voice, and the Word of God. And you see, I say constant because there are going to be times in our daily walk, in the hustle and bustle of daily life, that we get caught up in the things of the flesh. We get caught up in the things of the world. God may be telling us to go tell somebody about the Lord. He may be telling us to do this or that or that or this. And we seem to be so busy getting caught up with the things of this life that we just tune out the voice of God many times. And what happens is we get so busy we don't have time to get in the Word of God. Again, I've said it before, if you want to hear from God, you've got to get in the Word of God. We've got to get in the Word of God. We get so Busy with the daily grind of life that we don't get in the Word of God like we should anymore. Therefore, it has resulted in a disobedience that has gone rampant in the church among God's people because we no longer hear the voice of God because we're not in the Word of God. But Paul said that it is both to will and to do of His good pleasure. We look back at the chapter we dealt with last year, chapter 1 and verse 6. Paul said that he's confident that the same God that started the good work in us will perform that good work until the day of Jesus Christ. So according to that, God is already doing a good work in us. Therefore, we should be obedient to His calling and His leading in our life. And notice Paul said that it's of His good pleasure. That means that our lives should directly reflect the will of God. We're not here to fulfill the lust of the flesh. We're here to fulfill the will of God. And the purpose of God in our life. Whatever it may be that God has you to do. Understand, God may not ever have you stand behind a pulpit and preach. He may never have you go out there and hold crusades. He may never have you be this great witness that sees millions of people get saved. But He could use you as a prayer warrior in the pew that causes millions of people to come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Find out what it is that God has as His purpose for you. And make that your life's goal. Dive into it. Verse number 14. The third work of uh, salvation. Verse number 14. To do all things without murmurings and disputings. That's a hard pill to swallow right there. Paul could not have gotten more self-explanatory than that. I don't care what version of the Bible you read it in. It cannot get no plainer. It cannot get no clearer. It cannot get nothing more simple than what Paul said. Do all things Without mermaids in this city. Basically, in layman's terms today, he says shut up and stop complaining. That's exactly what Paul is saying. Shut up and stop complaining. God's people is a this bunch of people you'll ever meet in your lifetime. Why? We complain because God's not moving in the church. And we complain because He's moving in a way we didn't want Him to. We complain because the church is not full. And then we complain because we've got the wrong people in the church. We complain because the church is stuck in the old ways, but then we complain because the church is going to the new ways. We complain because the, the, the church is not growing, but then we complain the church is too big. those people are never happy. We complain that God never works in our life anymore. We never feel the Spirit of God, but then we complain that we don't have the time to get down and pray and read our Bible like we should be. We've got to stop complaining. Top plate, and not just spiritually, not just in the ministry, but in our daily life. We've got to understand how good God really has been to us. Just how good God has been to us. Sure, we may not have a luxury vehicle. We may not wear designer clothes. We may not live in a six-figure home. But i got a roof over my head, and i got clothes on my back, and i got food to eat. i got shoes to wear. Matter of fact, i got so many pairs of shoes to wear, I'm tripping over them when I go through the house. You see, I only got one pair of feet and I got so many pairs of shoes. God's good to me. I ain't got but one body, but I got a whole bunch of different outfits I can put on it. God's been good to me. I ain't a cow. I ain't got four stomachs. I ain't got but one, but I got a whole bunch of food in the house to eat. God's been good to me. We have no reason to complain. No reason to complain at all. Yet we do. You can always find somebody who's got it worse than what you've got. You can always find somebody who has more to complain about than you, yet they don't complain. You see, some of the happiest people in this life will be those that have nothing, but are thankful for everything. Paul said, in everything give thanks. He said, do all things without murmurings and disputings. Now notice, this is right after he tells us to be obedient. Notice the context in which Paul does this now. In verse number 13, he's telling us to be obedient to the will of God. He's telling us that we are to find the will of God and make that our purpose in life. Then in verse number 14, he tells us to find it don't complain about it. Find the will of God, live in it, stop complaining about it, and you'll find the peace of God that Paul talks about. And then notice verse number number 15. We find the fourth work of salvation. He said that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world. I used this verse a couple of weeks ago as an illustration in a message that I was preaching. But this fourth work here is to work at being pure. The work, fourth work of salvation is to work at being pure. First, Paul tells us we're to be blameless. Now this does not mean that we're going to go to hell or lose our salvation if we're not perfect. But what it does mean is that we are to strive to be innocent of wrongdoing in our walk with God. In other words, we're to have a heart to do what's right. A heart to walk with God. A heart to live for God and a heart to be faithful for the Lord. And then he tells us to shine as lights in the world. To shine by definition means to reflect a higher power. To reflect a higher power. You see, we ought to reflect the Lord Jesus Christ. The world should not see Russell Osborne, Charles Whitten. They should not see us who we are. They should see Christ in us. The hope of glory, Paul said. That's what the world should see. But they cannot see that if we're not blameless and we're not pure. That's why it's the work of salvation to work at being pure. In verse number 16... We find the fifth work of salvation. Paul said, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I may not run in vain, neither labored in vain. This is the work of witnessing. The fifth work of salvation is to work at witnessing. This should be prevalent in our lives to the point of two things. Number one, that we can rejoice in the fruits of our labor, Paul said. We should be witnessing to the point that it gets around. That people know when they come around us, they're going to hear about the Lord Jesus Christ. Why, sure, we can talk about the weather and politics, and we can talk about, uh, we can talk about the garden, and we can talk about everything else. But so- sooner or later, they're going to get around us. They're going to hear something about that Bible, something about the Word of God, something about the Gospel. They're going to know about how good God's been to you that week. They're going to know something. And eventually we can rejoice in the fruit of that labor. Because at night when they lay their head down at night and the Lord begins to deal with them and the Spirit of God convicts them of their sin, you know what they're going to be thinking? They're not going to be thinking about the garden. They're not going to be thinking about the weather or politics. They're going to be thinking about that passage of Scripture that was quoted to them earlier. They're going to be thinking about how good God has been to so-and-so, but yet I'm going through so much. I need to do something like so-and-so is doing. We can rejoice in the fruit of our labor. But then in the end, Paul said that we can have the testimony that we did not labor in vain. You see, how how sad is it to think that a child of God could lay on their deathbed and think that an entire lifetime has been wasted and in vain because they never lived it for the Lord. Sadly, I've seen that way too many times in my ministry. Sadly, I have stood beside the deathbed of many a church member who said that they wished that they would have done more, they would have gave more, that they would have witnessed more. Never have I stood beside a deathbed and they say, I think I shouted too much in church, or I think I told too many people about the Lord. I have stood beside the bedside of a few saints of God that have died knowing they did not labor in vain that they finished exactly what God had. I'm going to tell you something, that is the peaceful death that you will ever find. The most peaceful home going is those who have lived their entire life for the cause of Christ. To think that we can work at witnessing to the point that when this old body gives out, that we have not labored in vain. And then lastly, in verse 17 and 18, let me give you this and we'll be done and go to the house. Paul said, Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifices and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do you joy and rejoice with me. To sum it all up, the sixth work of salvation is the work of sacrificial labor, to labor sacrificially. Paul gave up a lot to be a servant of God, to be the preacher that he was. Paul was a very learned man. Paul was a man that was held in high esteem before he became a Christian. Paul gave up what could have been a very lucrative career in his day so that he could become a Christian. Paul spent a lot of time in jail. A lot of time being tortured for his faith. Paul gave up a lot and sacrificed a lot and never once did he ever regret it. Let me ask you a question tonight. How much has it cost you lately to serve God? How much has it cost you? An hour to be in the service? A couple of bucks for gas to come down to the church house? Well, we'll waste that on a a Coke or cold drink this week. We can go spend an hour in somebody's house drinking coffee and shooting the breeze. How much has it really cost us to serve God? You see, do we serve Him when it's convenient for us, or do we sacrificially serve Him, even when it hurts, even when it is not convenient for us. See, those are the works that Paul said that we can work out our salvation. Again, not working for salvation, but these works help us to work out our salvation so that in the end we are spiritually fit, spiritually able, and spiritually healthy enough to move forward in our walk with God. Let's pray. Father, Lord, thank you, God, for the privilege, God, that it is to be in your house tonight. And God, thank you for those that are here, those that are faithful. And God, we pray, Lord, that you will be with those on the prayer list that were mentioned tonight. And God, you know the need of every heart, of every mention. And God, we pray, Lord, that you would meet that need that is there. And God, we thank you for what you've done and what you're going to do. And God, we do pray for those that are in the path of this hurricane. God, this week, Lord, we pray that You'll put a protective hedge about them, God. Lord, protect them. God, protect their homes. God, people have worked hard their whole life to get things, God. Lord, we pray that You'll protect them, protect their homes and their families. And God, we pray, Lord, that the uh, that the hand of God will be seen in all of this. Again, God, we pray that You'll bring us back to the next appointed time. And God, we thank You for all Your goodness and mercy towards us. In Jesus' name, Amen.